gonna rock these shades Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Living in Fear. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
And that was Living in Fear from their brand new release. And we've got Kurt Callis on the line right now. Hey, Kurt, how you doing today? Hey, what's up, man? Good. Now, uh, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to get things rolling by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are and get to know who the band is. And the best way to do that is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Living in Fear and, of course, of Kurt Callis. Right, right. So Living in Fear is basically just uh, the band that I started after I got out of my last punk band as the drummer decided I can't play drums in a band anymore. But I always thought that starting a band as a vocalist was like a horrible move. Like, you got to have something to prevent, you know what I mean? So, uh, basically, I just wrote a four-song demo and released it on my own and uh, eventually established a few dudes that would play in the band. And uh, we've been through a handful of guitarists, probably like six or seven of them now and uh, a few drummers, and uh, just only a couple bassists. So we've had a, the same bassist for a while. So basically, it's uh, it's me on the vocals, Andre on uh, the guitar, and the, like, the lead guitar, uh, Wayne on the bass, Ian on the drums, and uh, Ethan on the rhythm guitar. And, uh, yeah. All right, well... Now, what was kind of uh, that moment for you where you decided that this was, you know, kind of the thing you wanted to do, music as a career? Because, you know, every artist has that crossroad moment where, you know, they could have chosen to be an accountant or a musician. What was that moment for you that said, this is my path, this is where I want to go? I think the big moment for me was in that punk band that I played in before Living in Fear. We got to play a really big uh, music festival in New York City, just like we were randomly picked and got to play it. And uh, we opened up the punk stage for the show. And there was a lot, it was just like such a crazy energy, like to be catered to, like as a musician, like you just kind of pull up, you set up, you play. And then you just go and you have fun for the rest of the day. I was like, this is what I want to be doing. (laughs) It wasn't the type of music that I wanted to be doing. So that's when I really decided to like leave that band and kind of hunker down and focus more on something that I would be more interested in doing in the long run. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about this new release. Now, when you were putting this together, you know, I know that, you you wrote the songs and you were looking to kind of change your direction, but what was really kind of your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve? I was looking to achieve a hardcore record that sounded like no other hardcore record. So I was really listening to a lot of like Memphis rap at the time, uh, like Project Pat and Three Six Mafia and stuff like that. And kind of figured that, like, like that music is super hard in the same sense that hardcore music is super hard. Like, it's it's really aggressive, in-your-face music. So I started sampling off of, you know, projects like that that I was into and working them into little intros and outros. And then it also kind of influenced the writing, like, in the percussion section and in the rhythm section. It kind of more so follows beats that I 
kind of here within hip hop music that I was listening to at the time. So it was kind of blending multiple styles that I don't think have really been blended before and trying to do it well without it, you know, coming off like super corny. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair enough. Now, let's talk about your process as a songwriter, because I find that very interesting. I think that a lot of musicians um, are interested in how other musicians are approaching this world of songwriting. When you sit down to begin that process, what is your mechanism that allows you to kind of uh, tap into the muse? I think it's really more so like having that idea. You know, I'll either just be sitting sitting playing guitar in my room or something, or, you know, sometimes I'll go downstairs into, like, where our little studio is set up where we kind of get our pre-production stuff done, and I'll have, like, a drum, you know, percussive beat in mind that I can, like, map out in front of me and kind of just build on each individual instrument. Like, I'll either have a riff or a drum beat or a bass line, and I'll just start with it and kind of add pieces on top of it and piece the song together as it goes until it follows a certain formula, you know, so I'm always rearranging stuff and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a process. Okay. Now, you know, I find that um, lyrics and melody are actually two different functions of the brain. Um, lyrics being very structural uh, in that you must have a story, continuity, meter, rhyme, all of these structural elements, but melody is a little different. Some songwriters like to use a groove and allow the melody to free form out. Others like that confinement of a, a riff or a, or a chord structure. Uh, and then others allow the lyric to kind of dictate through its cadence where the melody should go. What is kind of your go-to when you start hunting for melodies? So that's a, that's a tough one. So I only do melodies like probably two or like a third of the time in Living in Fear. Most of the time there isn't really a melody as much as there is just <clears throat> like a rhythm. Okay. Uh, on like almost more in a hip hopish kind of just like really aggressive yelling way. But I do kind of do some melody stuff when there is more of a chord progression within a riff, you know, and it, it's kind of like there's a melody within the riff almost because, you know, there's a chord progression. So I can usually get a pretty good, I'll get like one or two per song. I'll get like a good, like melodic kind of vocal pattern going. But, uh, yeah, that's more so it's based off of the chord structure within the riff than anything. Okay. Now, you had mentioned earlier about having a home recording studio that you you kind of lay out structure and then write to that. Uh, and a lot of songwriters have embraced technology as a way, as, as tools in their toolbox when they sit down to write, uh, whether it's the cell phone, home recording studio, what are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a songwriter? Definitely having like almost a, a full recording setup. So we have, we have a full band like practice space downstairs that also has a computer in it, but we practice down there so we can kind of, you know, jam together and get some ideas going. But then, you know, either me or Andre really, we'll go downstairs on like an off day 
and really get to like you know program the drums to it so it kind of sounds polished so we can all learn to it because it's super fast so it needs like we can't have a super raw recording to learn off of so it's good to be able to like you know really get in there and kind of mix to something that almost sounds full production even though it's not it's just a good learning tool um but yeah i think that's that's probably mainly my biggest thing is just having like a DAW set up with my interface that I can just plug right into record to a click, have the drums programmed and everything's done. And it takes me like 10, 20 minutes. Once we have the song ready, it takes no time to get it done. Okay. Now, um, you know, uh, every songwriter has that moment where they have to put the pen down and they have to move the song from that writing phase back into the production phase and, you know, I'll let the band kind of put their fingerprints on it, the producer, whatever the case may be. What do you do to determine that moment when the song is ready to kind of move to that next phase? Yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it's something that we tend to, we've, we've released a lot of music and I think that something that we tend to overlook is the sitting back on it really digesting it. We get too eager when the music's ready and we just blast it out as quickly as we can. So I think that's something that moving forward, we're going to take a lot more accountability for is kind of dissecting the songs of the band. And instead of just, you know, hearing the first demo version and being like, Oh, that's great. Let's roll with it. We should really sit down and kind of dissect the tracks more and make them as good as they can possibly be. So I think that that's something moving forward we'll pay more attention to, but in the past, really kind of haven't. Okay. Well, that's fair <laughs> enough. Now, you know, um, having a home studio, of course, gives you an advantage when you actually start moving towards, you know, going into the studio and recording the final product because you have more of an idea of what you want because you can experiment at home. But... You know, having um, a good song is only half the equation. Going into the studio creates not only the identity for that song, but also for you as an artist, your sound. Uh, And every artist has their way of working in that environment. What is your process when you get into the studio that allows you to kind of capture the sound that you're looking for? Yeah, that is basically just a lot of time and a lot of obsession. So, well, you know, we'll sit there. It'll it'll really just be me and Andre kind of sitting there getting our mix right and everything as to how we think, you know, it's going to sound and thinking that we got the best, you know, the best guitar tone, the compression's right, everything, you know, sounds good across the board. And then once me and Andre are kind of happy with where it sounds and it's mixed, we'll send it all off to our friend Tyler, uh, who runs a studio called KOTP recordings in, I think Tallahassee, Florida. And he'll, uh, he'll run it through all of his outboard gear. And sometimes, you know, he'll request certain stems that he can rework and he'll kind of do his polishing touches on it, send it back to us and it'll just sound worlds better. So we kind of do it, you know, more so in that fashion of, there's not a whole lot of meetup and, you know, getting with the producer and doing stuff. There's more so just that, like, I trust Tyler. I know he does good work. I know he's going to make it sound good. So once, once me and Andre have our good to go stamp of approval on it, we just know Tyler is going to, you know, 
increase that by a little bit. So that's usually just how we handle it. Okay. Now, um, you know, once you get something recorded, you know, you've got to get it out there. You've got to create the buzz. You've got to, you know, get it to radio, get it to press. Um, and you got to put your team together. Tell me a little bit about your team and, and that relationship you have with it. Right. So our, our initial team for our first two, like, vinyl record releases was a local label called Personal Best. And they more so kind of just funded the record. You know, there wasn't really a uh, contract signing or anything like that. There was just, like, he was, you know, an OG Atlanta homie that, liked the record and wanted to put it out, had the idea of starting a label. So he just kind of got our records pressed, put them out in some places, you know, local shops and stuff that he could get them out to and just kind of, you know, help us bump up into that official. Cause once you have a vinyl record, there's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a little bit of pride in that. So he would help us out with that. And it kind of boosted us, you know, having his platform and our own separate platform, boosting it gets it into the eyes of more people gets more people listening to it which eventually led to our new record label that isn't it's kind of the same thing there was no contract signing they just liked the music and wanted to pay to have the record pressed and uh they're called edgewood records from richmond virginia and that was kind of the record that or the label that i started kind of wanted to work with since I started living in fear, that was always the label that I was like, it'd be cool if I could have their co-sign on a record one day. And, uh, they basically had us come play in Richmond, their hometown with, uh, one of their bigger hardcore bands. So we played, they liked the way we played. They said they wanted to put out a record and then we just kind of had a constant email chain going since then. Uh, and how we, you know, when to drop the, uh, promotion flyers when to you know announce the record you know when to announce the single stuff like that you know it's a pretty business relationship but uh it's kind of easier that way you know what i mean because they, they help us out when we need the help and we still kind of get to do our own thing as our, our as our you know independent band without having to be tied down to anything okay now um let's talk a little bit about the industry um what are the what is one of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now as an independent artist as you try to negotiate through the current music industry? Right. I think I think a big thing there is there's a lot of lower level hardcore bands like us that are hungry to tour but don't have the connections to tour because connections within the hardcore scene are a little harder to build cuz it's it's not a big uh there's no correct name there's no big name in each city that you go to you know a lot of the times people are a little bit harder to get in touch with cuz they're dealing with a lot of things at one time and i think that something we we would really be able to benefit from is like a a booking agent of some sort that could help us you know solidify some gigs and some connections in places cuz we've only toured with other bands we've never really just toured as our own living in fear it's always been with another band that we know that wanted to get us on some gigs but uh i think that that's probably the biggest thing that we face is just struggling to really get tours locked down and booked 
Yeah, I think, you know, well, one of the things that I, I think a lot of musicians don't understand is that before you look for a manager, before you look for, you know, any of those other, you know, um, how can I say, uh, bloodsuckers, um, you you should look for a booking agent because he's the one that's going to generate income for you, you know? Exactly. Now, uh, one of the things I think uh, is kind of the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has really changed their perception of recorded music over the last 25 years. Um, it has gone from a product that people would purchase to now being a service, which is available on their phones. They expect it to be there. You know, if they hear about an artist, they go online, they listen to everything that artist has done, add them to their playlist if they like them, and move on. Uh, how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? I think that that definitely is a thing. It, it affects like physical copy sales as well because we do things like press records because that's like a big uh to me that's like a really big accomplishment to have your music on the vinyl record but when it's so easy to just listen to it on your phone in your car every day on your way to work why would you waste the money on a $20 piece of wax that you have to put on a record player and put the needle on it and turn your speakers on why, why go through all that when you just have your phone? So it's like, in a way, I get it, but for independent artists who need things like album sales, funds like that, it's not as prevalent anymore, and it doesn't seem like people care so much anymore. And uh, I definitely think that that is a huge issue, like without a doubt, but I don't, I don't really see any way around fixing it these days. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because um, the consumer now listens to music differently. It's not like, you know, when I grew up, you know, I'm an old guy, um, you know, and I grew up with vinyl and it was an experience. It was a tactile experience. You put on the album, you would listen from beginning to end on both sides and you would read the liner notes. There was an experience within that itself. But today, I think uh, more people are just creating a soundtrack for activities or things that they're doing, whether it's their drive home from work or, you know, um, working out or yoga. Not that I'm that flexible, but, um, you know, it's, it's a different mindset. And I think a lot of the consumers, the, the plus side is that genres are kind of falling out of the way. Because they're looking for music that fits the mood as opposed to fits the genre. You know what I mean? Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's definitely within like the mainstream, yeah. I've uh I've definitely seen that that's a big thing. You know, you'll scroll through TikTok or something and almost every TikTok is the same exact song, you know, it's just looking for a soundtrack to match a vibe instead of, you know, really digging into like the history of music, the roots of what you're listening to, listening to a full record and then wanting to understand why you like that record. So you dig back deeper into what that artist was interested in. You know what I mean? But that's, yeah. that's kind of, I still listen to music. I'm, I definitely am a huge, like 
record collector. I have a bunch of, of vinyl records and I spend them constantly. I'm, and when I stream music, I do, you know, admittedly every day on my way to work, but I'm a record listener. I never just listen to like a song and then the next song. I like to start at the top of the record and work my whole way through it. Uh, but I definitely notice, yeah, that that is not how most people listen to music anymore, for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, let's face it: the the, the primary um, venue for listening to music is the car, you know. And you know, today, I mean, cars don't come with CD players; everything is Bluetooth. So yeah. you know, you're kind of rele- relegated to utilizing things like Spotify. And the downside to that is. The revenue that is available for the independent artist is extremely small. Um, you know, the record companies went in, they made their deals with Spotify, got a larger piece of that pie, but and, and left very little for the independent artist. And the problem is that this is not a sustainable business model. Uh, we can't continue as independent artists to go into the studio, create these projects, these recorded projects and not be able to at least recoup our investment. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about making a million dollars. I'm just talking about covering the cost of creation of this recorded project. Um, What do you think needs to happen to kind of right that ship? I think it takes more, I think it takes a lot of live gigging at this point. Like that's the easiest way to top it. But I mean, that's just from what I've experienced. I haven't toured a lot, you know, but within the tours that I've done, the only that's, that's what I've kind of learned in my experience. The only way to stay independent and continue paying, you know, your merch costs, your studio time costs, your hotel fees when you need them, your gas fees when you're in the van, van rentals, trailer rentals, is to tour. You got to tour to generate that money. You got to invest some money into your own merchandise and then sell that merchandise and coop that into a band fund and establish yourself a band fund, save that band fund, use it when you need it. But really, I think the easiest way for, you know, young bands to generate income is to tour. That's that's I think that's the main key. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I always tell young musicians, if you're not putting more time in the van than you are on stage, you're doing something wrong. Um, you know what I mean? Definitely, 100%. You know, local gigs aren't enough. You can have all your friends in your circle ride for your band as hard as they can. But, you know, they're not going to be able to cover your studio fees and stuff like that. You got to go out to a bunch of people. You got to get out there and play different states, surrounding areas and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Now, um, you know, there is some new technology that has been coming down the pike that I've been keeping an eye on that seems to me to be a potential future for the music industry. Uh, one of them is this new blockchain-based streaming, uh, and blockchain being this technology that that they use to secure cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin and uh, all the other ones that are out there. And the thing with this is, is that it's a decentralized system. In other words, it's not controlled by any one company. It's really a direct relationship between the artist and the fan. 
and you know uh, sites like Audius and Emanate, um, they're claiming that they can pay up to eighty or ninety percent of the incoming revenue back to the creators themselves, to the independent artists. What do you think of this technology as being uh, part of the future of the music industry? Yeah, I mean that it sounds like that that sounds like it would be a huge answer immediately off the board. I think it would be about there's there's just such a convenience factor at people's hands already to do their Spotify, their Pandora, Apple Music, whatever it is. You know, that the only thing I would see being the issue is getting that into more people's eyesight, into more people's way of understanding. But I definitely would be down for that whole, you know, it sounds like a great concept. I'm, I'm all for that. It sounds great. I've never heard too much about it. I'm not super familiar with it, but yeah, I mean, if that was, if that's the new wave, it sounds like a much better wave than, you know, the terrible wave we're on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you really kind of look at what's happened over the last 25 years in the digital revolution, we started, with Napster and everyone file sharing, then all of a sudden they said, oh, we can't have that. And iTunes pops up and, you know, then you got the 99 cent downloads. And, of course, Apple was selling like crazy. And, you know, and everyone said, oh, we're going to have this forever because, you know, Apple is so huge. And then next thing you know, Spotify comes along and, and unseats this whole iTunes thing. And streaming has te- taken over. So, you know, now people are saying, oh, well, you know, Spotify is so huge. How can we ever unseat them? Well, it's just this is how the industry has been going over the last 25 years. It's a constant change of, of venue for for the consumer. Uh, I think once the larger artists move over to these newer platforms, the fans are going to go along with them. Um, and I think independent artists should start to investigate these uh, platforms and get their music on there early so that when the fans start migrating, they're already there and established. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. No, that's you're, you're absolutely right. It is about getting, you know, the, you know, it's about getting the bigger artists to, to transfer over to that. And that's the kind of thing, you know, I could see, I could see the likes of, uh, you know, the Neil Youngs and all the people that recently just yanked all their music off of Spotify. You know, I could see them transferring over to stuff like that and kind of starting that wave of, you know, oh, they're starting to make way more money off their revenue streams. Maybe this is the way to do this. And, you know, I think, you know, that definitely could start pushing some more people over. And yeah, it would be, it's, it's a good way for, you know, independent artists to, you know, get on the train quick and, you know, not wait till it's too late. You know, I think that's definitely worth investing some time in for sure. Oh, yeah. Now, um, one of the things that has happened, especially since the pandemic, is this whole world of content creation and social media marketing. And I think when the pandemic hit, it really accelerated that with people doing live streams. Then they started doing, you know, uh, music videos and then they started um, creating content that showed 
kind of the behind the scenes things, the the things that were happening in their lives that didn't necessarily have to do with music, almost like their own reality show, whether it's, you know, showing them going on hikes in the mountains or puppies, babies and kittens, whatever it may be, you know, the TikTok uh, staples. Um, But I think the fans have really gravitated to that. If you think about it, we've been in this reality show world for over 20 something years. So the fan base is really acclimated to that kind of content. Uh, What are some of the things that you're doing to kind of uh, create your brand on social media using content creation? I think that we definitely lack in the content creation world. I think my my thing for social media is we've kind of just always approached it with the uh, the more simplistic mind of just keep it real, get the info out there, and you know just kind of just kind of do it all you know the humble way more so. Like no one wants to see me and Andre hanging out with some dogs or something. No, no one's interested yeah, in seeing. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you, I mean, it's just, it's just you know. It's it's one of those things that we've always kind of, if we got a gig, we're going to post a flyer. We're going to tell you when to be there. You know, we'll tell you what's going on. It's going to be a good time. Let's rock. You know, we got a record coming. We'll tell you about the record. We got some live shots. We'll post those with some, you know, stuff like that. Live videos every now and then. A music video if we have it. But we definitely try to keep it music related always. That's kind of always been the way that we've kind of handled our social media is kept it, you know, to the point we're here for the music and we're ready to do the music. <laughs> well, you know, even if you showed like um, uh, a writing session between you and your partner, you know, this is how we wrote this song and, you know, and you show the progression and then finally you know, the finished song. I think a lot of people really kind of gravitate to that. If you look at like, uh, uh, Songland and all these other shows that kind of showcase that kind of content. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And we do stuff like we'll, uh, if we're, you know, practicing a new track or, you know, we got something new to do at a, at a show that we got coming up, we'll usually live stream our practice beforehand. You know, about, you know, the five of us just in the room kind of working through the kinks and the set, getting our transfers right. right. And, you know, just giving people an idea of what to expect. And those usually do pretty well, get a good amount of people watching. But, uh, yeah, it's always it's always pretty much, you know, definitely focused around the tunes themselves. All right. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your brand new release you guys are gonna love this you may just want to turn it up loud and say you know what screw those neighbors we're gonna have some fun tonight
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make. 